Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so excited that you've joined me for today's show. We have a special guest, and we are discussing a topic that I know that if you work in early intervention, it is going to be huge for your practice. And I know that if you happen to be parenting a little one with a language delay and you live in a bilingual or trilingual home, you are going to want to hear today's show because we have a guest who specializes in working with families who are in that situation. So thank you so much, Becky, for joining us with Becky Green. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you here, and let me just share that usually when I have a guest, I'll say, hey, call in for about five minutes before the show so we can get acquainted and make sure we don't have any technical issues, and today I panicked and thought, oh, no, what if I gave her the wrong number? So I hung up, and then I couldn't get back in the switchboard, and so now I've talked to Becky for, oh, about 10 seconds before we even started, which is kind of unusual, so I feel like we're both sort of thrown into this, but hopefully that won't <laughs> take away from the great topic. <laughs> but And I apologize to you, Becky, for that. It's just kind of a cry here at Teach Me to Talk, but that's sort of how we are every day. But let me give your little bio. As I said, you're a trilingual uh, speech-language pathologist. You work in California. You've worked both in early intervention and in preschool with families with lots of different language backgrounds. And before you were a speech pathologist, you had a whole other life. You were an elementary uh, school teacher, fifth grade, and then you also taught English in Portugal. So what a varied background. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it started, um, I, my, my career to becoming a speech pathologist was kind of a long one, and uh, I, I took a few different turns in life as I, as I came here, but um, I think a lot of it really helped to prepare me to now work with families, to work with the families that I work with. And I was really able to find my niche and, and find my passion in both early intervention and working with um, families with, with different language backgrounds. You know, I think lots of us get here, you know, just kind of via another direction or a different dream, and then you end up settling here and thinking, well, this is where I should have been all along. So it sounds like that's kind of what happened. But, you know, those previous experiences, even if you think, boy, you know, I took kind of a windy path here, they do really contribute and make you uh, have lots and lots of benefits to offer families that you probably wouldn't have had had you not had those other experiences. So I'm so glad you're here to talk with us about this topic. And Becky sent me an email, gosh, back in the fall, like November or so, right, Becky, when we first started trying to get you on the show. So I feel like, and then I forgot about it. And then I started remodeling this house and moving our business, which has just been all-consuming. So I started working with a family that asked me a lot of questions about bilingualism, and it really triggered in my mind oh, my goodness, who was that great speech pathologist that emailed me that was supposed to be on a show? So I'm so glad that we are having uh, had the opportunity to get you on today so that you can talk about this. And let me give Becky one more great shout-out. I have had a lot of guests on this show in 
our nine-year history, but no one has done a better job with sending me a more complete outline and resources and everything uh, as you have. So thank you so much for being so well prepared and for really, really educating me with this topic because this is something that I am not <laughs> uh, as as skilled in as I want to be. So again, I'm so glad that you're here and ready to just share, share, share all that you know about working with toddlers with language delays who are growing up in bilingual or trilingual homes. So thanks so much for volunteering to do that. Yeah, thank you, and thank you so much for the for the nice compliment. I hope it doesn't set up the expectations too high, but we'll we'll try and get out as much good good information as we can. So, um, but I'm really excited to be here and to be able to talk about this because it is really um, an area that that I love, and um, I'm so glad that that I found it. I actually I didn't grow up in a bilingual home. I grew up in Utah, and you know, just English-speaking home. Uh, when I got older, well, when I was in, in middle school, we had to take the required uh, Spanish classes, and, and I took them for two years. And, of course, at the end, what did I know how to say? I knew how to say the alphabet and some colors. And so um, yeah. and we all know how helpful those, those um, <laughs> concepts are. Uh, I could basically not get around anywhere Spanish-speaking. But um, when I went to college, that's when I started I decided I would um, get an Associate of Arts, which required um, two more semesters of Spanish. And when I did these semesters of Spanish, they had us do this language lab where we we would watch um, uh, we would watch these programs in Spanish, and they were really interesting to me. And then we would discuss them. And so I think because it was around a topic that was interesting to me, and it was something that um, that really allowed me to practice and, and kind of talk about things that I enjoyed talking about, uh, it really kind of spurred my, my interest in continuing to learn more about Spanish. And from there, I did a study abroad. Uh, and then, you know, that took me eventually to, to Portugal um, because at the time I was doing a service uh, volunteer um, thing there. And then I ended up going back to live and teaching English for a while. So, so as an adult learner, I, I can say it is, it is challenging to learn. And, you know, once you're, we, we hear about this window of time when a child can learn a language, and, and really to have the, the accent um, as, as clear and, and non-native like as, as possible, right. the earlier the better in that sense. Yeah. But it's never too late. I mean, there's always, you know, you always have, have um, many opportunities and, and your brain will to a certain extent cooperate as we continue to get older um, and, and allow us to learn more than one language. So that is good news for any of any of the parents out there whose children, you know, may be getting a little bit older and, and they haven't, you know, say four or five or, or even a little bit older than that, um, or even up to high school and, and they still haven't taught them their, their home language as well as they'd like. Right. So. And, you know, that's a concern for a lot of parents too because, and, and let me just share right off the bat, I, when I practiced and saw kids in my state early intervention program, we had access to speech language pathologists who were bilingual. And so I probably, I guess it's been about 10 years before I, since I really, really, really 
was the ongoing week-to-week speech pathologist for families who weren't primarily English speaking because we had such a vast network of providers and I always felt like somebody else can meet this family's needs better than I can if they really understand and use the same primary language they do. So let me just kind of share that in full disclosure. But now that I do mostly consulting, I work with families who, again, speak English so beautifully, but they're from other parts of the world. And so they are living in these, you know, two or three language households, and they have such fantastic questions and concerns with, you know, what should I do about this child of mine who's struggling to learn one language? Why, how, what am I going to do with this? You know, we speak two languages here or three languages or more. Am I messing up by continuing to expose him or her to um, other our native language or other languages that might be spoken in the home. So what's your answer with that, Becky? Because I know that's the primary question that people are <laughs> really, really wondering. What's the research telling us about that? So the research is telling us, and, and we're really emerging with research in this area. It's only been in the last, you know, few years, maybe decade or two, that we've really started doing more research on bilingualism for children with a language impairment. So, and even previous to that, I mean, um, research on bilingualism in general just it just isn't something that's been heavily researched. But luckily, we are getting a lot more. Right. And um, and I will, like like you had mentioned, we'll provide some um, information, some more resources that the parents can look at, um, as well as speech therapists to to look at the the research and what's out there. Um, but. Uh, right, what the most current research is saying that for a child with a language impairment, that they are able to reach the same abilities in two languages as they would be able to in one, and um, that being exposed to two languages is not going to confuse them or delay them any further. It's not going to cause their language to, to become any further delayed or um, it's not going to somehow take away from one of the languages. The most important thing is that um, that the parents, uh, for, for those parents who speak both, you know, English and another language fluently, um, you know, they can offer English as a good, strong, foundational language. Uh, and then for parents who, who may not be as fluent in English, uh, they really do want to be speaking the, their strongest language with their child so that they can provide a good model of language and, and give a lot of good um, input and and a good foundational base for language learning, um, especially if they're not as, as fluent as, as they would like to be in English. Um, so, yeah, but I think that's real intimidating. I think that's so intimidating for some moms when they're sitting there and they're thinking, you know, I, I'm, there's this speech therapist here who's coming in and speaking English, and I barely speak English, and you know, that that's a real deficit that I'm offering my child because this is not a language that I'm fluent in. And so I, I think there is some hesitancy on the part of a parent to kind of know, you know, do I just kind of jump in and proceed with teaching teaching our native language as I, you know, naturally would. And and they, they do feel a concern about that, that they're somehow holding their child back. They do. And, and I've worked with a lot of families that kind of express that concern and and often what they'll do is feel like, well, maybe I should give them less language. Um, and so, you know, maybe just feeling like if I give them less of, you know, whatever their primary language is, that maybe that will help them in 
being exposed to more English in it, and it won't just overburden their system. Um, but again, right. what we know is, or what the research is showing is that uh, there was one study done with children with Down syndrome, one group that um, was monolingual, English speaking only, and another group whose, who the majority of their primary language was English, but they were also exposed to another language as well at home and in preschool. And um, both groups had equal amounts of, of vocabulary and equal amounts of, you know, like their, their length of their sentences, their mean length utterance. Um, very similar in, in both ways. There was no difference in, in their group. Um, in either of the groups, just in English alone. So that's not even accounting for the second language that, that the children had that would have probably added even more vocabulary um, to, to their language. It was a, a study done on preschoolers, I believe, not toddlers, but preschoolers. And so it just showed that right. with these children who were exposed to two languages, they were still able to be on the same um, on the same amount of, of or at the same amount of language learning as their peers in English. So they both had equal amounts of English. And then we also get to factor in that, wow, they've also got more work in another language uh, that you right. know, is continuing to broaden their world and, and their understanding. You know, and I do think, and, and I love the first handout that you sent me. It said well-intentioned advice that we've given in the past. Mm -hmm. And I was totally complicit in thinking that, well, let's not overtax their system. And if if there's, and it's so stupid now when I think about it, when I think about my own you know, level of thought here with, if we're, you know, if there's going to be just so much room for language learning, let's just get it in that primary language. But the research really says opposite of that. Even if there's still a delay, <laughs> they've still got that second whole or third language beyond that that they would not have had originally had we just focused on that that one language. Uh, basis for communication. So let me ask you this, Becky, about the, that study with kids with Down syndrome. You're not saying that that study said you know, no longer a delay. They were completely caught up because they were bilingual. You're just saying their language skills were comparable in both languages, correct? Yes, correct. And thank you for clarifying that. Um, comparable and and actually, their language in their second language, it may have been as much as their first language or less, but their language, their um, abilities in English were just as good as, as their peers' abilities in English, who also had Down syndrome. Um, so their peers right. who so were English Even though speaking, the delay is there. Right. The de delay well, is there. I'm sorry. I keep talking over you. Oh, no, not at all. No, I'm, I'm glad you're clarifying this because I can see how someone listening might have gotten, <laughs> might have gotten a little confused. So please, I, I definitely appreciate the, the clarification. Um, uh, but so, so that they, even though both groups have language delays, that, that they're on the same level in English. And then we also get to include the, the second language that the group, um, the bilingual group has, which also, you know, we know would, wouldn't be just the same words as, as what they have in English. It would often be different words and, and will add to their vocabulary so that their total vocabulary is greater than, than their monolingual peers. Yeah, and that's a that's just a great great point, and that's certainly a benefit and and something that I think that 
would be a strength to really, really share with families who are really concerned about that because, again, I think the biggest reason that we gave that well-intentioned advice was we thought, hey, let's, let's just do everything we can to bump up, bump up, bump up their current status, uh, thinking that maybe we could just totally eliminate that delay in at least one language but that's not really what the research is saying. The research is, is and is confirming studies that we know from the past too. Sometimes parents are really concerned that because they're living in a bilingual home that they've created the language delay. And that's not really what research says at all, is it, Becky? It says that they, if, they're, if they have difficulty with language in one language, you'll see it in another, correct? That's right. And so being exposed to two languages, and, and again, it I... I understand where the, the thought is coming from on the part of, of pediatricians and speech therapists when we've given that advice okay. because, because we do see that, that oftentimes we need to simplify our language, we need to um, you know, re repeat, we need to simplify, we need to speak in shorter phrases. And, and so coming from that kind of line of thought, we also might think that, oh, well, maybe we should just simplify it down there to one language. Um, but then what, what we do is that sometimes, I and mean, we do have the parents who, who are not as, as fluent in the community language or in English in, in case here in the United States, so they're not as fluent in that language. And then once their child reaches a certain level of, of language, the parent is no longer able to, like, to communicate quite as um, um, communicate quite as well with their child on the same level because their, their child no longer has that that primary, that home language, and, and the parents uh -huh. don't really speak English. So then there's kind of a disconnect where the parent and the child, you know, later on down the road are no longer able to communicate. And also the child kind of experiences loss of that, that home language, that primary language, to, to the point where they just don't have a really strong um, foundational language because the focus has just been on English, but especially for parents who can't provide all of that um, a very strong input in English, um, it, can be, it can be very challenging then later on down the road when the parents want to communicate more meaningfully with their child. Um, or, and also with language models, the parents are no longer able to be language models for their child because they're not, they don't have the fluency to model, you know, like the, the correct use of, of language. But, but even for those parents who um, are fluent in both languages, you know, when we think about the, the child being able to communicate, say, with aunts or, you know, grandparents who live in another country and, and still wanting to have that connection and communication, um, if, they do, if they're only offering English and, and, say, the family, you know, speaks Chinese and then they go back to visit and they're no longer able to, to communicate with those relatives. So there is kind of even a, a cutoff from um, being able to, to have more opportunities to communicate when, when the, the home language is no longer, is no longer taught. Exactly, and so I think this information is such a relief for those parents who are out there, and for grandparents too. You know, I think a lot of times grandparents, <laughs> we get that that just kind of that wisdom from that extra generation who would say, "Okay, so what? They they're behind. They have a language delay. That doesn't mean that you wouldn't keep talking to them in the same language, you know, that I use or that." all of their aunts and uncles use, and so it is very reaffirming and reassuring, and I think that's great information for us to share with parents who, who are kind of on the fence about what am I going to do about this because of, uh, and just making those real-life decisions. So great, great, great information. And, and it is a, I mean, it definitely is a, 
something for the, the speech therapist to think over with the family and to talk over and let them know that, you know, what it really comes down to is input. And if the child is able to get a lot of really good input in both languages, um, then we know that they'll be able to build both of those languages. And there will be a time of that child going through, especially if the child's learning both languages from birth, which is called simultaneous language learning. So if they're learning both, um, you know, say English and Russian from birth, they'll learn both of those simultaneously. And there will be a time when the child will go through and they'll mix up both of those languages. Um, you know, their the words might sound like a blend of the two languages when they're first learning words. Um, and then they'll, you know, right. add in one word in Russian, another word in, in English. But that's not in, that's not, um, that's natural for all children, for children whether they've got a yeah. language impairment or not. Mm-hmm. I was about to say that, and we'll hear that sometimes with, <laughs> and let me just kind of overgeneralize for a second, but I'm going to do it because I think it's an example that a lot of speech pathologists can relate to. Sometimes when we are talking about teaching children sign language, people will get all kind of blown up with we shouldn't teach generic requesting words because the child might again overgeneralize and or or they they get stuck or they make those kinds of errors and you just said the same thing little language learners and it doesn't matter if you're learning one language or two mess up they have those mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mistakes and again that's just part of learning that's just part of and and it doesn't matter what your modality is whether you're signing or speaking one language or two or five that that's part of maturation and that's part of uh, again just that process of acquiring new knowledge you're going to mess some things up you're going to have trial and error so I love that you said that not to be worried if it's a mix I had one mom who used to say and this was years and years ago when that when that movie was out, I think it was Spanglish or something like that, one of those silly comedies where <laughs> she would say, my child does that. She kind of speaks this mix of Spanish plus English, and she was super, super worried that that wasn't all right. And so that's really reassuring that you said that. Yes, it's definitely a, a process that almost all children go whether go through, whether they have a language impairment or not. Yeah. So. Um, and, and what I encourage parents and speech therapists to do is just what we call recasting or, you know, restating whatever the child has said. If they said, you know, quiero a cookie, I want a cookie, then you can, you can repeat that sentence for them um, in, in either English or Spanish. Oh, you want a cookie. Or you could say, ah, quieres una galleta. So you, you can say that sentence again for, for them and just kind of model in either one language or the other um, that what, what the child is, is asking for um, just so that they can kind of hear that. And, and again, it's just what we would do is if the child had been, you know, saying, had said something incorrectly that we would just, um, sure. Yeah. Like a grammatical and say it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let me, let me ask you this, since you've, you've brought this up, what about providing input in both languages? Like you just said, you would say it in either or. So if they were asking for a cookie in Spanish, would you, and you were recasting for them, so restating what they should have said or how they could have said it without the errors, do you, what's the research saying about that, Becky, was trying to give that, say everything in both languages? Is that good or bad? 
So one you know thing what I'm asking? Um, yes, yeah. So one thing that, okay. um, that I see a lot, like when I go to Head Start or, uh, I mean, I shouldn't just signal it. When we go to any preschool, I'll sure, sometimes sure. the teachers translating back and forth everything and from Spanish to English because I, yeah. I live in a very um, bilingual community of, uh, with a lot of um, Spanish speakers. And, and so we have that opportunity to have they, a lot of the preschools are bilingual. Um, but what wow. they'll do is go throughout the day and, and say one complete phrase in Spanish and then immediately translate it to English back and forth with, with everything. But some of what, what some of the research is showing, and I got this from um, a really good book that I'll bring up at the end called The Bilingual Edge, which was written by, um, by two linguists with, with PhDs, is that when, when we are just translating back and forth like that, when we're saying you know, one thing um, in one language and then immediately switching over to the next language, the child is focusing more on, on the differences between hearing those two languages rather than actually absorbing the, the meaning of what you're saying. So, so they're not so much absorbing that good vocabulary and letting that language sink in. It's more of like they're comparing and, and listening to the differences between the two languages. That's what their brain is doing. Um, so it's probably interfering with their processing if we think about it that way, because that, that's really, I, I mean, it's hard for parents, too, and I think you called it something that I, I don't know that I've heard this term, simultaneous translation, and again, you're saying not to do that because we're, we're kind of taking away from what the meaning or the semantics would be rather than, kids aren't able to focus on that. They're just listening for those differences, which, again, they could really miss the most important part, which is what you're really trying to say, your meaning. Correct? Correct, yeah. Yes, exactly. So with with, saying, um, with switching back and forth and doing that, what I, what's called simultaneous translation, where we're not giving them the processing time, like you brought up, to, to really absorb that language. And we know for a lot of our children with language impairments, um, that they need that extra processing time. They need us kind of slow down our rate of speech and, and really model and give them that processing time and hopefully the time where for some of our children that they'll try and repeat back some of what we've just said. And so whether we do it, you know, I mean, there's so many um, different situations out there with bilingual families and, and how they want to make learning two languages work, how they want to do it because you know, there's families where there's been advice as far as one parent, one language, where if one parent speaks, you know, a um, uh, foreign language, they can speak that language, and then the other parent can speak the community language, which, you know, English. Um, but some, some parents, and, and it's kind of set up, they kind of set it up that way so that the child then has to speak both languages because, you know, oh, well, if I want something from dad, I better go and ask him in, you know, in Spanish. And if I want something from mom, then I'm, I'm going to go ask her in English. But um, sometimes for families, that ha some families have said that that seems a little unnatural. And, and even for parents yeah. to kind of act or pretend like they don't speak. I mean, kids are smart, and they'll catch right. on pretty quickly. But <laughs> Wait a minute, Dad That's doesn't speak English. That's what parents said to me, too. They've said, a lot of parents have said, we tried the whole one language, one parent thing, and, you know, they would say, I would forget, and then it would just be weird that he was trying to ask me something, and I would try to redirect him back, and then I felt stupid because at least he was trying to communicate, and I wanted to really reward that. So I do think that there's some problems just kind of inherent to that that 
you know, great advice or well-intentioned advice, but it may not be as practical as, as we all would like it to be. Right, and so in looking at, and that's really what it comes down to is, is practical. What What is practical during the day for, for a family to actually do? And, and that may be, um, you know, using both languages throughout the day or, you know, even even within the same, you know, sitting at mealtime, using both languages. But again, I think the same um, the same kind of rules apply from learning one languages from le- learning one language to learning two languages, which is again making it really meaningful, making it around the child's interest, so that you know we're we're or or at least making sure the child is interested, you know, in, in what we're trying to tell them in either language, um, slowing down our speech, a lot of repetition, a lot of visuals. And that if we do that in both languages, um, that it doesn't so much have to be like such a separate, you know, like from nine to five, I'm going to speak, we're going to speak English right. only, and then from, you know, like, like you know, it doesn't right. need to be a hard and, hard and fast rule um, because, you know, that's yeah. just not how natural language, how our language works anyway. But again, I do just in, encourage for parents and, and speech therapists, um, not to do that simultaneous translation. Let them absorb it in, you know, one language and so that they retain that vocabulary. And then also not to, even though the child is going to code, you know, code mix and, and say, start off a sentence in, in Spanish and end it in English, that, that we give full and complete sentences at whatever level the child is. You know, if the child's um, language comprehension is still, if that's still an area that they're really, um, struggling with, and you know, if we're speaking very short phrases, that's fine. But that we do it in in English uh, or in in one language or the other, so that we're not so that we're not providing incorrect models of of what language is. Um, so yeah. does that make yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, and I think that code mixing is a big deal, and that's sort of what we were talking about before. That's a real natural process, though, for kids who are learning more than one language for them to kind of mix it up like that, but we need to give those really better models of of uh, language, and again, it doesn't matter which language you're using, just to make sure that we're recasting in that um, what they what they should have said instead of using that code mixing or code switching ourselves. And that is confusing, and I've heard parents do that too. And I am very monolingual. <laughs> so when I've worked with families who are bilingual, you know, and they're doing it with their kids, I think, man, that's confusing the heck out of me. So I, I, that's great <laughs> advice to really, really keep it, keep it in that, uh, that, that better model. So that's a good good reminder. And it's so funny, Becky, so I'm looking at your outline and listening to you. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, every mistake that she's saying that we, or everything that we shouldn't be doing, I've made that mistake. I mean, every <laughs> single one of them. So I know this, this information is really, really relevant and practical because we've all done these things, but we just didn't realize that it was not evidence-based. And so it's good that we've got research now that really <laughs> tells us a better way to do it. Definitely, yeah. No, and I think we all have done it. When I when I taught English at first in in Portugal, when I was going through the um, the classes, learned how you know the English as a second language classes. Um, a lot of what they were telling me were, were some of these things that have kind of stuck with me since, like not yeah. doing simultaneous translation. But but before that, that's what I before having learned that, that's what I would do because it seemed like oh that's that's the best way. That way they understand it, you know, in, in their language and then they get to hear it again in, 
in English or, you know, whatever whatever it is we're teaching. So I think all yeah. of us have done this, and I think parents have as sure. well. And so it's, it's great that there's more research coming out um, in the area. But, just, you know, because, again, we don't know what we don't know, so we just go off our best instincts. Right. And, <laughs> and, you know, yeah, when we know better, we'll find better. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, um, and even I did want to just touch on that even for, you know, our – um, our children with very with more moderate to severe language impairments, um, say our children with autism, that that we may be focusing on you know just one or two words, getting out one or two words, but um, expressively or or even just having them understand that. So I think that's really something to talk with the the speech therapist about. You know how what words do we really want to target? Um, you know and and choosing those kinds of words, but but even for a parent to think with their culture and with their home language, you know, that they shouldn't feel like they need to in any way avoid, say, interaction in that language or, you know, singing with their child or, or you know, whatever right. it is that they don't need to hold back, like, oh, you know, I, I know all of these, these songs from my childhood in, in Portuguese, but, you know, I, I guess that we should just focus on one language and, and kind of and have the parent hold back. But really anything that's going to be, you know, promoting interaction and that's going to help. The, the parent with that connection um, can only be a good thing. So, again, maybe we're just, we're really, like, narrowing down the amount of words that we're going to target or, you know, whatever it is that the goal is, I, I think it's just something that the speech therapist needs to work with the parent about. But just, just again, to to recap that it's not going to worsen any kind of delay. It's not, um, and, in fact, a, another study was done on children with autism that showed that, um, children who were exposed to, to two languages did just as well on all of the measures of like social development, uh, and we know for for bilinguals in general, without for studies done on, on bilinguals without language impairment, that they actually have an edge on on some of that social communication and theory of mind. Um, do you sure do you have a good yeah <laughs> yeah because they have to do some perspective taking and and. Um, and also, I think exposure to different cultures, and also kind of the perspective taking. When you switch a language, it's not you're not just translating word for word, but you're kind of shifting in a way that that you explain the world and that you understand it a little bit. So, right. um, yeah. And I, I know you've talked about theory of mind before. Do you have just a simple way that you like to <laughs> try to think how the the best way to explain theory of mind in language how terms? You know, how I explain theory of mind to parents is you put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So the child is able to say, well, and again, on a really simplistic level, you know, she feels this way because da-da-da-da-da. And they're able to really kind of shift and, again, like you said, take that other person's perspective. And so I think it's, oh, that's so hard to teach. And it, and even as both of us are, you know, trained professionals, we're even kind of struggling to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's even harder, you know, but I do think that that's a really good point for children who, uh, and again, I love your example about the mom who would say, I know all of these cute little parent-child routines or these baby songs in Portuguese, but I don't know any of these ones that you're teaching. And I've had parents say to me, but I'm going to go ahead and just use the ones that I know. I don't know that row, row your boat thing or that ride a little horsey thing or that bring around the rosy thing, but I do know this. And, again, they do get that experience with interaction and they do get that loving connection with a parent that they could have missed out on 
had a mom been so hesitant or reluctant because she was afraid of her her competence in English or afraid, you know, that I'm going to kind of overstep my bounds here. We're trying to help him learn English, not necessarily this other thing. But it does kind of bring the whole point around. Interaction is interaction. And it doesn't really matter what words you're using. That's your foundational skill that you're targeting. So you want a parent to do that in the most natural context that they can. And I can totally see how that would support theory of mind, totally. Yeah, and and there are other other benefits too that have been done uh, again on on children with typical language development um, that you know it increases their ability to to sustain attention to just one task and to to shift, but also to to shift attention and, and when you think about shifting languages. So there's other benefits that we haven't um, we haven't been able to or that we don't have a lot of research out there on children with language impairments, but that we do know that as far as you know bilingualism in general, that, that there's a lot of benefits, and hopefully we can do more research and find out what are the benefits for our, our children with language impairments as well. But, but what we do know is that it's not going to worsen a language delay. And, and again, you know, so long as we're giving them really good input and, and finding just the, the right kinds of activities that, um, that will, you know, get their interest and, and keep them engaged, that that's a great way to, to go about um, teaching both languages. And just, just uh, another piece, because I really, there's, there is a lot of really interesting research out there, and, and I'll just talk about this one really quickly, but there was um, research done on children who were exposed to Chinese um, uh, through a video, just through videos, like, you know, it was very fun. They were nine months old. They were babies, not children. Babies who were nine months old, and they were exposed to Chinese, and uh, they wanted to see if the babies would pick up on some of the, some of the subtle sounds of the language they um, they had a process for testing whether the babies would respond. And then another group of babies was given direct inter um, interaction with, with Chinese speakers, same kind of play-based, very fun. And at the end of the study, uh -huh. after so many hours of exposure, the, the children who had been exposed to, to Chinese, the babies who had been exposed to Chinese on, on the television showed no no difference in in understanding any of of the sounds of of or in responding or um, showing any processing of any of the sounds in Chinese words. But the what the babies who had worked with the researchers directly, who had worked um, with the Chinese speakers directly, did show those abilities to kind of distinguish certain sounds in the language. You know, by assigning meaning to some of the words and things like that. So, again, we know that if if we want to teach language to, to babies and toddlers that it's really got to be direct and and you know there's so many programs out there that are you know um, on iPads and on television and things like that right. for teaching another language but for babies and toddlers it's just it's not I mean you know it's not real life trumps everything yeah real exactly. life real life and when we were first saying that I thought oh my goodness I hope she's not about to say that the that the kids learn language through screen time just as well as they did in real life. I was going to say, oh, how am I going to undo this? But you didn't say that. You said what we know is true, that it needed to be real life. And, again, as I said, real life trumps everything yeah. with uh, versus screen time and stuff. So that that's fantastic. That's a great, great study. I, I would love it if you would send me that reference because that's fantastic. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So it's so again, it's it's just kind of showing that really we can't let the language learning be passive. It's really got to be active and and relevant and um, and engaging. So uh, anyway, it's a, yeah, I I've listened to your show um, 
for many years, in fact, it's really kind of what helped me feel more confident getting started working with, with little ones because I was a little bit nervous at Aww. first about doing that again. <laughs> so, so your show really gave me a lot of confidence <laughs> to, to kind of feel like, okay, I know what Aww. I'm doing. And, and I would listen to it as I would, you know, drive around to different homes, and that really was helpful. So. <laughs> um, I know that home, home visit therapists tell me that all the time. They say I listen between shows and it, or between visits, and the show kind of pumps me up and keeps me going. And when I'm depressed or I feel like I've blown it or like I don't know what I'm doing, it's somehow just some little something just kicks in, and it helps me uh, feel more confident and feel like I'm making a difference out there. So thank you for sharing that. That's really really sweet. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely so. It's so nice to in a in a field where we don't collaborate with a lot of other speech speech pathologists right. on a day to day basis. It's really good to hear someone who's who's got experience and who's been there and and has you know had a lot of successes and sometimes where things haven't gone quite as planned and it's just really good to have to have that. So I think we're we're so lucky. Technology does serve a serve a purpose and you know, like being able to listen right. to podcasts while you drive around is is great. Absolutely. But just using technology in the right ways, right? Absolutely, so. absolutely. All right, let's move on to this. Let's talk about the assessment piece, Becky. Tell talk about that with looking at differences versus disorder and how we do that because I know a lot of I get a lot of questions about this at teachmetotalk.com, and certainly a lot of programs have their own standards, but just talk about that kind of in general when we're assessing a child. So in assessing, when, when we're assessing a child, um, we, we're going to be looking for the same milestones, whether the, the child um, is learning just their home language, their primary, you know, um, the home language, say if that's, if that's Spanish, they're just learning that, or if they're being exposed to Spanish and English. Um, but we want to look at overall within, so I, I guess to give an example, we just want to look at their total language, adding up both languages, what they know okay. and what they're saying, and that they should be meeting those um, So those milestones. So say if it's, you know, the milestone of having um, 50 words, you know, by eight by 18 months, which that's the average, right? So that's like right in the right, average exactly. range. Um, so that we would want to see 25, say they have 25 words in English and 25 words in Spanish, that's great. They, you know, if we're only looking at English, then we'd see that they have 25 words in English, which wouldn't be, at 18 months, wouldn't be considered, you know, extremely delayed or anything like that. But but we, would, we wouldn't be giving them the full credit for the amount of language that they have. Um, but, but really, if I it's think that's not reading point. Oh, I think that's a great point, and I think sometimes therapists overlook that. And listen, let me just highlight this really quickly. <laughs> I love that you said 50 words by 18 months because we, a lot of, and again, this is kind of a little side trail, but I want to take it because it's so important. When I ask this in live conferences, sometimes therapists, not so much the speech-language pathologists, but the other therapists who were there, maybe educators, so developmental interventionists, whatever they call teacher people, or OTs that happen to come, they really have locked into the standardized milestone that we use or the criterion reference milestone, which is 50 words by 24 months. But typical language learners, it's 50 words at 18 months. And a lot of times we forget that because we work with kids with delays all the time. And we get kids who are at 24 months who have zero words. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. we kind of 
gone backwards with looking at what the outer limit of typical development would be, which would, and we forget about normal language learners, which it really is 50 words by 18 months. So let me just kind of stick that little side comment in there for <laughs> therapists who might have forgotten that and, and had that little uh, skewed misperception there because we do just kind of get ruined sometimes by using test uh, indicators, testing indicators, rather than what we know about true language development. So I'm so glad you mentioned that too. And I like the idea of we're going to look at a child's total language. So count up all his words, what he understands and what he uses in, in what, whatever language they're speaking. We do want to look at that total number there. So great, great point there. And and also as well as if they're putting those two words together, if one's in you know one language and the other in another, they're still doing two word phrases. So we're going to give them credit for that. Yeah. Um, and and Count it. So that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's that's great. They know how to put these two. So long as they're putting it together right. meaningfully, it's not just saying one word after another, right? But if, if they're meaningfully, right. you know, commenting on something or asking for something, um, but but definitely knowing the the milestones that yeah that fifty words at eighteen months is average um, and then of course there can be more or less than that and and from what we've seen with with bilingual development um, and even for, for children without language impairment sometimes they're told by their pediatricians or you know by other uh, medical professionals that oh that learning two languages they might come out looking delayed well they're still even if they're kind of on the lower end of that because sometimes those first words do come out can come out a little bit later for a child who is bilingual, they've, they've shown that sometimes yeah. with the processing of that, that maybe those first words, but we're not talking, you know, like months later. We're, we're still saying that they should still be within this range of, of milestone development. So they should be still hitting those milestones of, you know, within that range of what's considered typical for first words. Um, they should yeah. still, and, and still having that increase and, and combining words about the same time. So there's nothing that... It says that, um, in fact, at the same time, some, some, some research has shown that, no, really, it should be at the same time, whereas others have shown it can be a little bit more scattered. But, but either way, like just looking at, at the overall developmental milestones, if they're not hitting, you know, those milestones of, of understanding words and, and especially, you know, I mean, language and learning two languages in, is in no way going to cause like less eye contact or less joint attention, you know, um, it, so, so attributing something like that, some kind of, you know, where, where a child isn't um, demonstrating a lot of social um, engagement. Right. Like, you know, we, we definitely cannot attribute that to, to learning two languages. So. And that is a fantastic point. And people say that all the time. And you were exactly right about pediatricians. And, again, they are well-meaning when they tell parents, well, no wonder he's talking late because he's having to sort out two different languages here and we need to just keep waiting and keep, you know, let's wait and see, let's wait and see. And then you end up with a 30-month-old mm. who has no words, whose, again, his interaction is off and nobody has said it doesn't, you know, these things are not related at all to speaking more than one language at home. So I think a red flag is a red flag is a red flag. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we need to remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, we need to remember that, not associate that with uh, multiple languages, multiple language exposure. You know, that, that's, a, that's a foundational skill that's missing. That interaction piece is not there. And, again, it didn't matter if there's one language, there are ten languages <laughs> that that child is exposed to. 
that that shouldn't be a problem uh, regardless. Exactly. So great, great, great point. Yeah. So again, just great look at the that. milestones, and and if the child is not meeting their milestones, if they're not meeting their milestones for, you know, for saying their words, for um, intelligibility, like we're not understanding a lot of. Say, you know, child is getting close to three and we can still only understand, you know, 10 to 20% of what he's saying. I mean, we, we still need to look at any of those milestones around, whether it's, you know, speech sounds or, or language being used and refer. And, I mean, I've even had some speech therapists say that, you know, oh, well, he's, he's got 13 words, 13 words at three years of age, but that's because he's oh, playing my gosh. 13 poets. And a little, a little piece of my soul just yeah. kind of... <laughs> Like I, guess I know. I, mean, I want I, to revoke their license immediately. You know, they should not be practicing because, I mean, that's essentially malpractice. It really is. And sometimes parents, again, get terrible advice. And so if you're listening to the show and you're hearing that and somebody's evaluated your child and told you, you know, it is okay for a three-year-old to just have a handful of words, that is so not okay. <laughs> Fire right. up today and move on. <laughs> yeah, get a second you know, opinion so, as soon as you can. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So what have we not talked about, Becky? Because we have about 11 minutes left. So how could, what have we not talked about? Because I do, I, I have some things that I've starred that I want us to kind of summarize the show with. But before we do that, what are, what are you thinking these last few minutes that we haven't talked about would be most important to share? Um, you know, there's, I, and I realize that we're sitting through my, um, some of the points that I wanted to make, uh, you know, I, I think we've there's there is a lot more to cover still, and, and I am going to offer some resources. I also have kind of my personal my own website, but I have put up a lot of resources on there as well. That my website that I use for for clients to be able to contact me, but um, I can also share that at the end of the podcast because I know that there are still a lot of questions out there for parents on on okay, how do I do this? What do I do if my child doesn't want to seem to learn the home? Seem to learn the sure. home. They don't want to learn Let's the home language. That. Yeah, we. I mean, there yeah. are children um, out there that I'll see. Usually, when they're getting a little bit more like preschool age, you know, once they've transitioned from you, and then they're coming into the preschool age, and some of them don't don't seem to want to learn. They want to to do what they're hearing on television, and and maybe they've got older siblings. Oftentimes, I see that um, older siblings that are influencing influencing them, and so they just don't really want to. To learn, but um, I think again, parents can. Uh, a lot of it, I have seen parents kind of take two routes. One where it's like, no, you need to learn this language, and you know, oh, we're only going to speak this language, so stop speaking English, and that typically doesn't work out so well. Um, the other route <laughs> is for because <laughs> because we really can't re- control what you know what what they're how they're going to respond. You can't. The other one, you, you no. Know. Yeah. Uh, the other route is to just find, again, very motivating um, activities for them, maybe setting up play dates with other children that speak that language, um, trying to find out what does motivate them. You know, if there's, um, you know, cartoon characters that they seem to like or if they have action figures of them or something, you know, play with them, but play with them in that language. Um, book reading is is great. And there's a website that I'm going to link to that um, – that has some really good resources for how to read to your child, especially when they're, you know, still very little and they're not, they're not going to be able to read an entire book from front to back. And, you know, and maybe you don't have a lot of books in your home language, but you know what, you can make it up. Just right. get another book in, in English. I would advise 
flipping through it at least once so you get the basic idea of the plot of the book, you know, what's going to happen next. But yeah, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> know who the characters are and whatnot. But yeah, so just and then afterwards, you know, go through and, and maybe one thing I've even done is I've created you know, like books, I've translated books myself where I know kind of the amount of language I want to use on it. Like, you know, I really want to use repetition of this word and because and I, I really want the child to practice these, you know, short little phrases. So I'll just go and translate it myself. In, and then in my sessions, I'll go and flip through and have my own, you know, more simplified version for the child. And that's something that, so that the parents, if they want to just take the time and on a little post-it note on each page at the bottom or something, just kind of write a little note for the words that they want to practice with their child in their home language. And, you know, that way they, they have that good repetition and the child can anticipate what's going to happen in the book. And and then also kind of keeps parents from just asking, what's that, what's that, what's that, as they're pointing yeah. to the book. You know, they're actually say, telling a story. Yeah. Anytime we can help parents be a little bit more goal-directed in what they're doing. And, you know, a, a lot of parents, you know, Oh, let's just say it like this. If a parent has their child in therapy, they want that child to succeed, and they want additional information. And, you know, and as I say over and over, unless you were there by court order, the parent sought services. And so I think most parents want things to do, and they want to know how to help their child. And so giving that idea to a parent and really saying, especially if you are like me and are not bilingual and you're trying to work with that family, that would be a fabulous idea to share with the parent and say, look, why don't we take this book that he loves and you translate that and let's keep it super simple like you were saying pick just a few little words that you want to really repeat and really focus on so he really really learns it and I think that would be just again a really super initial activity to get started with the family to help them really feel involved and again as a therapist it might not be something that you can even do or have the capability of doing but that mom could do it and it would certainly empower her to really really participate and be there with you and then continue that yeah. activity when you're not there. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Right. And and for speech therapists, I mean, they, you know, and this is a whole other topic or something that I was, you know, we topic we haven't gotten into too much on this one, but for speech therapists who don't speak the language, um, I know there's a lot of different uh a lot of different ways that you can then provide services. ASHA, on their website, they've got some really good resources. Just if you look under bilingual service delivery, they've got a lot of good resources for for how do you deliver services when you don't speak the home language. And and so um, I'll leave that there. And I've also got some ideas on my on my website as well. But um, but there are a lot of different ways that we can even just model, like, look, here's what you can do. I'll, I'll model this for you in English, but go ahead and do this throughout the week in your home language. Um, yeah. So, so there's, I mean, there's no And I would say that to parents all. a lot. Yeah, and I would say that to parents a lot when I was working with them, and I would say, look, you know, knock yourself out. If you know these little routines and if you feel more comfortable doing this in your home language, you just go right ahead and do it because that's – Here's how I feel about it, too. The more comfortable a parent is, the more likely they are to do it. And so who cares what, if they're speaking English or whatever, we just want them participating and interacting and connecting. And so whatever whatever method we have to do to get a parent to feel comfortable doing that. And, again, I think that I've said it over and over, it's that hesitancy that parents feel because they think I'm making this delay worse 
when research is telling us that is not true at all and we no longer need to be concerned about that. Exactly, exactly. And I think removing that hesitancy is going to really help parents just hopefully, you know, possibly increase the interaction and, and the, you know, like right. instead of holding back with communication, the, it'll really increase the interaction and the comfort level of like, oh, this isn't, you know, I don't need to just pull the other siblings apart from, from, my, from my child with the language impairment and just discuss things with them because then that's essentially kind of excluding their other child with the language impairment when, when they're just going to be able to, like, oh, I can only get my message across in, in my home language, so, so I'll just speak with his sibling. But then that child loses out on that interaction as well um, because, because they don't have that knowledge of the, the home language. So parents can, can be um, reassured that, that being exposed to two languages has a lot of great benefits. There's some things to think about and, and to talk with your, you know, your speech therapist and think about as a family as far as how you want to, to implement it, but that there's a lot of great benefits to it. And um, again, no research that shows that it, it'll increase or it'll increase their risk of, of even further language delay. So, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Let me hit a couple more of these points that are kind of in summary that I wanted to be sure that we are really reiterating, especially for parents who are listening. And let me just say, if you're hearing me say, and Becky said this too, you know, that's a mistake I used to make or that's a mistake, you know, I made last week. Or it's, if your speech pathologist is encouraging things that we've talked about, like non-functional language, you know, ABCs and numbers and colors and those things, or if they are advising that you do that simultaneous translation or they are doing code mixing or whatever to try to, or, or really just encouraging you to stick to one language. Again, it's not that they are terrible, horrible speech pathologists. They just don't know what the current research says. So as a parent, you can help educate them. <laughs> so you can point them to Becky's website and these other resources that she's going to give. So that's one point, Let's, but hold it right there because I do want to say one more thing before we move on to those resources. Let's really reiterate a red flag is a red flag is a red flag. So mm -hmm. that example that we gave, a kid who's three with 13 words, that is not okay, <laughs> and that is not something that we can just chalk up to being bilingual. That is a delay, a significant delay in both languages, and again, the research has reiterated that for years now that a language delay, if you're delayed in one language, you're likely to be delayed in every language, especially initially. So we want to just be sure that we're looking at those milestones and not saying, well, it's okay if he's not talking and he's two because he's, bi he's in a bilingual home. That is not okay. So we want to be sure mm -hmm. that we're reiterating that. All right, so let's move on to resources, Becky. Where can we go for more information? So for parents, there's um, – and, and will you be posting these on your site, Laura, under um, – just on the yeah. blog portion? Okay. So I did it – yeah, I did it today, so go ahead. Okay, great. Um, so there's um, Coloreen Colorado, which is a website about – with resources for reading for parents. Um, it's in English and Spanish, but then they've also got handouts in different languages as well. I think in seven different languages for just, oh my God, you know, here's nice. how – how you can read with a two to three year old. Here's how you can read with a child who's three to five, and, and then elementary and, and beyond. So it gives a lot of good um, tips on on how parents can make reading um, engaging and also appropriate for their child's age. Um, 
There's another one called bilingualavenue.com, and this is um, she's an, uh, the woman who created this blog is an educator, and she's also a parent with um, uh, with teaching a parent who's bilingual and teaching her children a few different languages. I think three different languages. So she kind of goes through her experience as far as, and I think it's you know a lot of the posts that she has I think are relevant to children whether they they are typically developing or they have a language impairment as far as well what do I do if my child doesn't want to speak the language how do I you know what are things to to, to help to motivate or to make it fun how do I make it more fun or more you know relevant to to the child so uh, another one is called a, is a book called the bilingual edge and that's by dr. King and dr. Mackey um, it's a really good book about just Tons of in, tons of ideas of how to to teach two languages, um, and then again for our SLPs, um, Dr. Elizabeth Pena um, has a blog spot called Two Languages Two Worlds. Um, if you just look up, if you just Google, I mean, or you'll have the link for Two Languages Two Worlds, and she's got a lot of yeah. a lot of current research that she posts. Um, access to research articles that sometimes aren't available yet on other websites, but um, she's offered some of those for free in the past, which sometimes if you're not able to get the research articles from ASHA, you have to spend a lot of money if you want to get your hands on, on research articles, so it's good. <laughs> um, which is another deterrent to actually reading research, so I'm so glad that you pointed that out. And I have linked all of those great references at Teach Me to Talk, and if you'll scroll down to the banner that always links the most current podcast show, you can find it there. But if you are listening, you know, these shows kind of live on forever and ever and ever. And so today is May 26, uh, 2017. So if you're listening, you know, a week or so beyond this, it won't be in the podcast banner anymore but it's show number 313 so if you just if you're listening on iTunes or whatever and need to scroll through so that you can get the post to the show so that you can find these resources um, be sure that you're doing that now Becky you did not include your website in any of this so tell me about your website when I, we were emailing back and forth in the fall you were getting one going and it sounds like that you might have had some little technical delays with that what's the current status <laughs> the current status is it is running, I, and I do have some um, some posts on there for for um, parents in English and in Spanish, and I also have some um, some handouts and things like that for parents of both languages um, on most awesome. of the topics we've discussed today, uh, and also resources for speech therapists. And the website is greenspeechtherapy.com. Um, it's my last name, Green, so I, I went the original route in choosing the name for um, <laughs> a business and website, but Green Speech Therapy and uh, .com, and you can go there and you can see there's there's still a few little things because I, I have been kind of a, I've done this on my own and I'm not the most um, tech savvy oh person gosh. out there, but. <laughs> You do not have to explain that to me. Let me tell you, people do not understand. And let me, again, just take a little side moment here. You know, when you say that you're you're working full-time and you're a speech pathologist and people just say, oh, well, you can just get a little website up and running in an afternoon, it is not <laughs> quite that simple. And, no. so to, and then to have your real life and try to do that, especially if you don't have a big IT tech team and you know teach me to talk's been around for almost 10 years now but we're still not doing that because we're primarily uh, a speech therapy 
focus and practice. We're not IT people. So I so understand and commiserate with you <laughs> with <laughs> all of the issues that you have in getting things up and running. But I love that you gave it out anyway and that you're so, again, willing to share your expertise with uh, this topic because it comes up all the time. And most of us who are speech pathologists are not bilingual, but we work with lots and lots and lots of families who are, so it's fantastic to have that resource. And I just want to thank you so much. You were fantastic today, Becky. I'd love to have you back because there's so much that we didn't even get to touch on. Yes, yeah, definitely. Anytime. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on the show too. And, and again, I really, um, I really appreciate having this show out there and, and the information that you get to parents. I, I give it to a re- as a resource to, to my parents that I work with. You know, listen to the show as you're, you're driving around for the parents who are, are working and busy. Listen to this and just and get ideas for how to work with your child. And I, I think it's so great to have have this out there. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much for saying that. Thank you. That's really sweet, really, really sweet. Okay, so you can find all these resources that we've talked about today that Becky just mentioned plus her own uh, website, and you'll get that at my website at teachmetotalk.com. And let me just say, too, about naming your website, your personal name. Boy, if I had it to do over again, that's what I would have done, too. So don't feel badly about that either because <laughs> you're not <laughs> going to regret that with having it your, the name of your practice because it, it, that talk about code mixing and code switching, you know, when people are trying to find my stuff, they don't always know to go to Teach Me To Talk. So... You did that right, too, so there you okay. go. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for today. I hope that everyone has enjoyed the show as much as I have. And, Becky, I'm going to uh, have you back. I'd love to have you back to talk about this more. So thanks okay, so much. Great. That does it for today, everybody. All right. Join me next time. Have a great week. Thanks.